Man, I'm so thankful to be in God's house. Is there anyone else here that is excited to be in God's house? Come on, anybody at our Lancaster campus today that's excited? I've got a message for you today. I, I'm sorry I came with some bad news. No movie today. You got me. I'm sorry. I hope you've enjoyed the movies that we did. But, but I'm ready to kind of do a little work in the Bible today, if that's okay with you. I'm ready to dive into a message. I really believe like as we as we start this new series called Moses. Now every year for the last several years I've taken a month to just kind of like dive into someone that we would consider is a superhero, okay, of epic proportions, as someone that we would say is legendary of the faith. Sometimes we can take some of these people and make them almost mythical right? Moses almost seems mythical. Some people say he is. I don't believe that. I believe he was a man who walked on this earth, who was used by God to do great things. But here's the thing when it comes to legends is that the longer they've been around, the more the legend grows. You know, like how, like that trophy buck keeps growing tines, even though it's been dead. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Now, I'm talking about the fish that you caught keeps getting heavier and longer. And sometimes when we think about Moses, like if, if we were to think about Moses, if you were to follow him on Instagram, my guess is we would look at his account and, and you'd probably see like the Nile River turning into blood. And you might see a bunch of frogs jumping around and see, he'd show that picture for sure. And he might show like them walking through the middle. He probably would have done a, a little Instagram live walking through the Red Sea. And you can see the wall of water on either side. You might see him getting a selfie with the Ten Commandments with the tablets of stone. He probably would have done that. And sometimes when you picture Moses, that's what you think about. We think about all the epic moments. I think sometimes we forget about the everyday moments that these guys live through. So what I am so thankful about the Bible, what God preserved for us, is it wasn't just the story of the great exploits, but it was also a narrative of their struggles. It was also a narrative of their pain and their disappointment and their discouragement. And so I wanted to kick off this series talking about an aspect of Moses that some of us have maybe never heard about, but I believe it's something that maybe all of us can identify with when it comes to Moses. And so I, I hope you're ready to receive a word from God today. If you are, would you bow your heads and pray with me at both our campuses? God, I am thankful to be in your house. I'm thankful for your grace. I'm thankful, God, that we have an opportunity to come together to worship you to experience your presence. God, I believe that you are here right now. And I'm asking for the help of your spirit, God, your Holy Spirit in me, to, to, to proclaim the truth of your word to our hearts today in a way that would change something in us. God, I didn't come here just to do church, but I came here with a message that you gave me. A message, God, that I, I believe can speak to us about our identity with you. And so, God, I pray that you open up our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears spiritually to receive the word that you have for us today. God, may we not leave this place the same, but be changed because we encountered the Almighty God. And we pray all these things in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, come on, can we give him praise one more time today? Amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. It's good to be back with you today. Uh, I enjoyed at the movies. I hope you enjoyed it as well. 
Um, but, but I kind of am excited about diving into the story of Moses. We will tend to do a superhero theme um, because that's kind of how we picture people like Moses. I was thinking about the beginning of Moses and I had this question for you. I don't know if any of you are, are, feel like you're trapped in the time that you were born, but have any of you ever wished you were born in a different era or different time? Raise your hand. There's a lot of people today that I think kind of like, I don't know if you wish you were maybe had been born 20 years later because you're feeling old. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if maybe you grew up in a really difficult situation and circumstances. And so you, you kind of wish that you had grown up maybe at a different time of in the future, maybe times would have been better and more prosperous. I don't know if any of you ever feel like you're like an old soul trapped in a young body. I, I meet some people that, you know what I mean? They're old school, old souls. They, they like old music. They dress old, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I, here's what I've discovered about fashion. You wait long enough, it'll always come back around, right? But there's some people I think that they feel like they're trapped, like, like maybe you're, you know, you're trapped and you like, you like the old classics, the good stuff. It's funny because my, my family, we were hanging out, this was about a week or so ago, and um, my daughters were, um, they were performing for us, they were doing the kiki dance. Um, you know what I'm talking about, in my feelings? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, uh, Three-fourths of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Just shake your head, yes, you'll, you'll look hip, you'll look like you know what you're talking about, Drake. Okay, and uh, they're doing the, the kiki dance. Do you love me? You know that that song. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, and um, Lauren's boyfriend's over there, Hunter. I'm gonna call him out because he was there. And he wasn't doing the dance though. I, he he was he wasn't doing the dance. And then he said something that was so funny, right? Because he's like 20. But he said this. He was like. I feel bad for the kids today growing up having to listen to this music growing up. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, and my wife jumped in. She was like, amen. Young people today, they don't, they, they don't know the joy of growing up with Aerosmith. And they don't know the joy of growing up with Guns N' Roses. I didn't listen to any of that because I wasn't allowed. But they don't know the joy of growing up with that music. You know what I'm saying? They had to grow up on Justin Bieber or Miley Cyrus. That, and and, I, and I'm, I'm with you, Hunter. I feel bad. for That's why some people wish they would grow up in a different era. I think if you were to ask Moses, if we could have an opportunity to ask Moses, do you wish you grew up at a different time? I think Moses would say, yep. If you know anything about his childhood, Moses would have said, I, I wish I grew up in a different era. And it wasn't because he didn't get to, you know, do the In My Feelings dance out of his chariot and post it on YouTube and get all the likes and the follows. And that's not why. Okay. Um, Moses grew up in a time where it was not good to grow up, especially as a Hebrew baby boy. In fact, he was born at a time of, of great tragedy. Um, I, I feel like it's important to get the context. You could say week one of this series, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give us an introduction to Moses. And I'm going to preach from a portion of his life that is never talked about. I rarely ever hear this part of his life talked about. And if you follow his story, what you'll discover is that Moses um, was a descendant from Abraham. And if you know the story of Abraham, and I've preached about him before, Abraham in Genesis, that narrative, you know, the father of many sons. God came to him and said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, yet he had no children. And God miraculously provided Isaac, and then Isaac had some kids, and you know, Jacob. And so uh, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who was renamed by God Israel, okay, had to pack his family up and move from the land that God had given to him, the promised land, 
to Egypt because of a famine in the land. And, and like most families, this is what happens, right? I, I know this has happened to a lot of you. This is what, like most families, you, you go and you pack up maybe and you move somewhere with a five-year plan. How many of you did this? Five years we're going to be in this house. Fifteen years later, you're still in that same house. Now that's what happens to this family. We're going to move there for the famine and 400 years goes by. 400 years. And over that time, that's what we're introduced to in Exodus chapter 1. 400 years goes by in that one chapter. And all of a sudden, this, this family that was loved in the land of Egypt because of Joseph, if you know that story, okay? Many years later, a new king rises to power and doesn't like the fact that there is a lot of these Israelites, Jacobites, Israelites, that are living in the land that are not from Egypt. In fact, uh, most scholars believe there was at least a million people, if not closer to maybe two million people, that were living in the land as Israelites. And so this king rises to power and is threatened by this growing population within them. And so he forces them into slave labor. And even though he tries to oppress them, God is with them. So they keep multiplying and keep God's blessing them. And so the Pharaoh, that's the name of the king at the time, the king, okay, Pharaoh, that's the leader. He issues this law, this command that every Hebrew baby boy that is born is to be thrown immediately into the Nile River to drown. This is the time when Moses is born. This is not a good time to be a baby Hebrew boy born at this time. And we're going to pick up his story, but as I read to you a little bit of his narrative, I just want to read some of the passage. It might be a little lengthy, but I want you to hear his story. I want you to kind of picture with me the story through the lens of his parents for just a moment. How many of you are parents? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Could, could you imagine this? Okay, they didn't have ultrasound technology back then. Okay, they couldn't go and post a gender reveal on Instagram. They didn't know that. And so imagine you know that the law of the land is that if it's a boy, that you're required to throw the baby into the river to drown. And, and you could hold on and try to hide the baby, but if the Egyptians figure out that you've got a baby boy with that law, then maybe you could be executed. And so can you imagine just, you're excited about this baby. Every parent is, right? But you're hoping desperately inside it's a girl. Because if it's a boy, you know what you have to do. And so it changes things a little bit when you think about it like that as a parent. So imagine them watching as the boy comes out. They realize, look down, it's a boy and their heart sinks. So I need you to think that way because sometimes we, we read the Bible so sterile. You have to think about what was going on. And so it says in Exodus chapter 2, that's where I'm going to be, verse 1. It says, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. I would hate to see what if he were ugly. Like, I mean, you, well, he's good looking. I guess we'll hold on to him. Isn't that odd? It's not that odd when you consider who wrote this. Okay, verse 3. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Can you imagine this moment? Don't, don't read this so like void of the emotion as a mom's crying. The dad and they're placing him in a basket and shoving him off into the water. 
not knowing what will happen if someone finds him. It says in verse 4, his sister stood at a distance. She just followed. She couldn't handle it. She just followed in this basket along the Nile route. It says that his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him, holding their breath. Verse 5, it says, Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby, and he was crying. And this is a miracle right here, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then, this is Moses' sister who had been following along, attacking along, and sees an opportunity. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, do you want me to get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? I know somebody that maybe could do this. And verse 8, yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me. And here's the cool part. I will pay you. How many of you moms would have liked to have gotten paid for nursing your kids? Hello? Mm. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter. and He became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Moses was supposed to go in the Nile River, but not in the way he did. He went into a basket. And, and here's the thing. In this awful time and awful situation, what we see is the hand of God in the middle of this. This is not a coincidence that Pharaoh's daughter is there. I'm going to show you this by the time you're done. It's not a coincidence that it was Pharaoh's daughter that pulls Moses out of the water. It's not a coincidence that his sister is there. It's not a coincidence that his own mom gets to nurse him and, oh, by the way, gets paid for it. It reminded me of a story I heard one time of a poor old widow that was living in a small little house that was like she barely had enough money to survive on, could barely kind of make ends meet, and was always trusting God to provide for her. And she would always pray, and when people would ask her, she's like, God's going to provide for me I don't know but he will and she had a neighbor who was an atheist and this atheist couldn't stand this widow because she she was always talking about God and how he'd provide and he didn't believe in God and so one day this atheist knows she's struggling I love this he goes to the store buys a couple bags of groceries sticks it on her front doorstep rings the doorbell and runs and hides in the bushes she comes out and looks and there's groceries she immediately gives a praise God. Thank you, God, for providing for me. I knew you would come through. You knew exactly what I needed. And right at that moment, the atheist neighbor jumps out in the bush and says, Aha! Gotcha! I see there is no God. God didn't do this. I did this. That woman paused for just a moment. And then she looked back up to heavens. She said, Thank you, Jesus, for providing for my needs. You provided it and made the devil pay for it. That, that's an old woman, but... That's what reminded me. Like, go get, go get his mom. I'm going to pay her to nurse him. You see the hand of God on Moses' life in the beginning. And, um, and then I want to jump to verse 11, the very next verse. Uh, she drew him out of the Nile, and that's what she named him Moses. Names sometimes have meanings. It sounded like a Hebrew word to draw out. And so she would have named him that, Moses. Now, now, as you move forward in his life, I, I want to read just verses 11 through 14 for just a moment. This was just to set up the story. It says in verse 11, one day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. I know you 
Some of you probably heard this story. You know what's going to happen. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. It says, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one that was in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Do you not respect him? And verse 14, the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking about killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Now, I, I want to, I know that a lot of you know this portion of the story. I get it. Sometimes we're so familiar with a story that we can read right past something really significant and actually miss some depth, miss something that maybe God wants to show us. I know a lot of times we focus on what is written. But sometimes if you have narrative and context as we get with Moses' life from other places in Scripture, I think sometimes it's important to talk about what's been left out. Something significant. It says that all we get it one day when he had grown up. I started to think to myself, what, what does that mean, he'd grown up? Like, was he 16 years old and had his chariot's license then? Was he 22 and just finished college? Was he 33? And, and settled down in a career? Like, what does it mean one day when Moses was growing up? Well, if you, if you read about Moses and you study, you'll see that Stephen, a guy from the New Testament, Acts chapter 7, describes Moses' childhood. And he also tells us that this one very incident, when he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite and he kills him, that he is 40 years old. So this was fascinating to me. I don't know why I get kind of lost in these little details. That in verse 10, he's a baby or a toddler at best. In verse 10. In verse 11, he's 40 years old. And I, and I thought to myself, well, this is odd. Why is it that we don't have hardly anything of his first 40 years of life? I mean, can we all agree that, and psychologists say this, and educators say this, that the early years are some of the most formative years when it comes to developing your identity, who you are? And for some reason, that's left out. We don't get anything about Moses' first 40 years. Now, you know why that was also fascinating to me? Is because of who is considered um, being credited for writing the first five books of the Bible. Do any of you know who was considered for writing the first five books? Anybody know? It was Moses. This is Moses writing his own narrative. This is Moses writing an autobiography of his life. And he decides, I'm going to leave out the first 40 years. Can I ask you a question? If you're going to write your story down, is there any part of your life that you're going to leave out? I bet there is. I bet for a lot of us, there's part of our story that we would leave out. There's a part of our story that maybe we're ashamed of. There's a part of our story that maybe is filled with a lot of pain. There's a part of maybe your story that you're trying to leave in the past. I get it, I get it, I get it. Why is it the early years, maybe the most formative years of Moses' life, we get nothing? Maybe it's because Moses wants to forget him. You ever thought about that? I, I just want to spend just a little bit of time in between the verses. I know, I know, I'm not trying to create a new narrative, but 
there's something you can deduce from what goes on and maybe what's happening in Moses's life. I'm, I just was thinking about how Moses would grow up without a father. See, we don't think about that. Moses and the Ten Commandments. What about the fact that Moses would grow up living in a palace looking different than maybe all the rest of the boys? I wonder at what point as Moses is getting older, is he asking questions to his mom who's not really his mom, but his adoptive mom? I wonder at what point does she ever tell him that I actually got you out of the river like somebody that was picked up out of the trash can. See, we don't talk about that part. Moses, I think, wants to leave it out. We don't talk about maybe the struggle that he faced as he's the only one of his kind growing up in an environment where everybody else is different and sees him as someone who doesn't belong. Can you imagine the rest of the kids who do come from the Egyptian royal line who are saying, you got no part in this inheritance? And we just think it was smooth sailing, like everything was good. No, I don't, I don't know that it would have been that good for Moses. And, and I wonder, I know that we don't know for sure his exact narrative. We do know that he was raised and trained in all the wisdom of Egypt. Stephen told us in Acts 7. We do know that he spent time learning how to read and write when most of them couldn't. We do know that he would have grown up in the lap of luxury while all the rest of his fellow Hebrews are out getting beat and in the hot sun. And, and, and I know we don't know his exact narrative, but I wonder if some of you, if you were honest, have a narrative that's a little bit like that. I wonder if some of you maybe grew up where you didn't know your father. I wonder if some of you have a narrative that you would like to leave in your past or you grew up and you felt like you were abandoned by somebody. You were told you were an accident. I wonder if some of you grew up in a time where you were just, people made fun of you because of the way you looked or people made fun of you because you didn't have a lot of money in the way you dressed and you were never really could find home. You never found your place. Just felt confused all the time. And you know what I see as I think about our society today that it's just, it just breaks my heart. It's just running rampant. Is that today we have more identity confusion than ever before. People are confused. People don't know who they are anymore. People are trying to find it and they want love and they're going and they're looking for it in every different place they can because they don't have it. Maybe even growing up, they don't have it from the one who created them. Sexual identity is confused today in our culture. There's great confusion around it. There's great confusion around gender identity. That's real today. People confused. Family identity. Our families are so different looking. They're, they're broken. They're, they're unique. They look different. People don't, they don't know. There's, there's identity confusion happening. In fatherless homes, people are being raised, not, not, not being raised with the love and adoration of a father, or maybe even a mother. There's confusion. So much confusion. In fact, it's, it's sad every time you hear about some young person that walks into a school and starts shooting other kids. And almost every single time what you find is here was somebody who was ostracized by everyone else. He didn't have a home. He had no place to belong. And what I see today is because we're so confused about who we are is that we're trying to find it in our careers. We're trying to find it in success. We're trying to find it online. 
We're trying to find it in social media. That's what we're trying. We're trying to find it. People are trying to find their identity in social media. That's why we're going to post pictures of ourselves. And that's why we're going to throw these things out about. Why? Because I'm searching for likes because I don't really have love. I want approval because I don't really have it. I want some group to accept me because I don't feel like I have it. And so we see this happening today. It's becoming superficial and people are lost and confused as to who they are. Lost and confused. I wonder if there's some of you that are chasing and pursuing followers because you don't really have the love or don't know the love of God and who he made you to be. I think about Moses and what it must have been like for him. It's so easy to skip over this portion of his story. Yeah, let's get to the miracles. Let's get to the bush. Let's get to the tablets. Let's get to the plagues. I get all that, but you know what? I can maybe identify a little bit more with this Moses than I can the guy who can part the Red Sea. And I wonder how long Moses struggled with his own identity. If you don't think he didn't struggle with his identity, then how often do you think he went out to the land where his fellow Hebrews were and he watched the Egyptians beat on him and it would have messed him up. See, he's 40 years old. This entire time, him growing up, the Hebrew boys, men, women, were all enslaved. All of a sudden, something happens where Moses snaps. That's the only thing I can think. Because if you're 40 years old and you've grown up in this and you've seen all of this all your life, and then all of a sudden, he can't stand it anymore. That he has to go over and take action. Something snapped in him. Like, something's got to snap in you if you're going to murder, right? Something snapped in him. And he goes and he, and he defends one of his Israelites, and he kills an Egyptian, and he buries him in the sand. And I think all of a sudden, my guess is, here's what he's wondering. Now will my people accept me? I came to their aid. I defended them. Only to find out the next day when he goes out to stop a conflict between two of them, one looks at him and says, who made you our judge and ruler? In other words, you're not one of us. You don't belong with us. Go back to your palace. And so here's Moses. He's stuck. He really has no home. He's confused as to who he is. And on top of that, word gets out that he murdered someone. Not only just someone, but an Egyptian. In verse 15, here's what the story tells us. It says, when Pharaoh heard of this, now word gets back to the Pharaoh, the king. He tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and he went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. Moses, without a home, confused, doesn't know who he is anymore, now is running for his life. He runs away to Midian. By the way, Midian was nearly 300 miles away from probably where he was in Egypt. That's a long way to go when you're walking. You know why he went that far away? He had to go that far to get out from under the rule of Pharaoh. That's how far Pharaoh's rule went. And so he goes to the land of Midian. And what's he doing? He's on the run. Moses is running. He's running away from his past. He's running away from his people. He's running away from his life. And though Moses actually did run, here's what I recognize. Some of us today should consider, some of you might think, you're running. 
I wonder if some of you would actually say you're running in life. You don't have to physically run and move hundreds of miles away to be running. But some of you maybe are running from God. You've been running for quite a while. And you know inside, no one else knows. You've been running away from faith because of your doubts. You've been running away from a calling. You've been running away from your family. You've been running from your past. You've been running. I just got to get away. I find that we're running. We're running. So many people are going through life. And you know what? We're not settled. We don't have peace. We're running in our hearts. We're running in our soul. There's something about it that we're running just like Moses. Moses is on the run. But here's what I want to tell you today. This is what I came to declare. And I have seen this in my life. And I see this in the story of Moses. And that is this. You can run from your calling, but you can't run from your identity. You can try to run from your calling. You can run from your purpose. But you can't run from who you are. You can run, but every time you look in a mirror, there you are. This, this is Moses. He, he tried to run from his calling. He ran from his purpose. He ran from his people. He ran from his past. And that's what so many of us, if I could just be honest today, I see this in the church. We're actually running away from what maybe God created us to do. How do I know this so well? Because this is my story. Because I did this. I did this for the longest time. Now, I, I should tell you a little bit about my story. It's interesting that Moses' name is, is, is mentioned because she drew him out of the water. And do, do you know, in my story, my name is significant to my identity. It really is. Our, our names are sometimes significant. When my parents um, were pregnant with me, they didn't know what they were going to name me until my dad and my mom both felt like God spoke to them one moment and said that I was going to follow in my dad's footsteps in ministry. My dad was in school, was doing ministry, and my name is significant because my dad's name is Paul. And if you know anything about the story of the Apostle Paul, he had some spiritual sons, and one of them was named Timothy. And so because they felt like God had spoken to them that I was supposed to go into ministry, I literally was named Timothy because of that. And I was reminded my entire childhood about how God has a calling on my life in the ministry. You're Timothy. We named you that for a reason, honoring God, because God has a call in your life. Now listen, that sounds great when you're sitting in church and, and you know, you, you, you're a lot older and you, you know, you, you kind of, you, you think ministry is important, but when you're a teenager, that's the last thing that you want to be reminded about. When I was 15, 16, 17 years old, I wanted nothing to do with that calling. Listen, here's what I could say. I was running from God, running from the church. I was, tr I was trying so hard to get away from that calling. I don't want to do ministry. And I remember graduation. I don't forget this feeling I had. Not just the graduation, but I remember the feeling. I had this feeling when I graduated high school that I was discouraged. And here's why. Because inside I had always been told that God made you to do ministry. But I didn't want it. 
And so I was looking around at all the rest of the class, the class and all the rest of the people, and I was watching them all kind of go, well, I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to go be a businessman, and I'm going to be a nurse, and I'm going to be a doctor, and I'm going to be a lawyer, and my brother, he was going to be a pilot. And I remember thinking, why do they all get to choose? I don't. My dad's Apostle Paul. Yeah. It was a struggle. Because listen, when you run away from God, you tend to run away from your calling. And I just want to say this with absolute love. I think there are a lot of people in the church today that are running away from what God's called them to do. And oftentimes, in that same vein, we're running away from God. And, and, and we get lost in that age I was in between what God made me to do and who God made me. And so you know what I did, and this is what most of us do, is I took the very things that God had put inside of me and I began to pursue other things with it. I, be, I began to, okay. So like, I'm good at talking. That's like, you got, sometimes you got to think about yourself a little bit. I talk a lot, um, which works out when you're a preacher, but whatever, you know. I like to argue. You can ask my wife, family. I'd make a great lawyer. I'm good at arguing. Um, and, and so I, I was thinking about a little bit of who I am. When I was 17 years old, I remember getting a job in sales. I got this, this particular job in sales. It was a very unique company. I don't know how I found this deal. Someone told me, but I got hired into this company to sell crap every day. No, no like, it was crap. It wasn't literal crap, but it was junk. Let me, let me say it that way. Cause some of you, I, I, I literally got hired into this company. It was a cash only business. I was 17 years old. I didn't know what I was getting into that literally every day, a new shipment of stuff would come in and then we would sign out a certain amount and we would go door to door anywhere we wanted to in the city of Columbus and around to businesses to peddle this junk. And the average price of this stuff would be anywhere from $5 to 15, maybe 20 for an expensive one. And this was junk. I mean like the most worthless stuff you could ever imagine, okay? That's, that's what it was. And here's what I discovered. I was really good at it. I can sell junk to people that they don't need. Like I, I, I figured that out, man. I was doing so good at it. I was making really good money at 17 years of age selling this crap. So much so that they, they promoted me to trainer. See, I didn't know that, that as you got promoted, it went like this because I didn't realize it was a pyramid scheme. Okay. And so I got promoted to trainer. They're flying me to Chicago. I was the youngest person ever promoted to trainer they've ever had. And this cash business, and I'm looking at the managers driving a sports car, flying me to Chicago. Chicago. I'm like, I have found it. This is my niche. I am good at peddling crap. And here's the thing. I, I was so good at doing this and I'm making a lot of money. And then all of a sudden, one day I woke up and I came to the realization that God didn't make me to peddle crap. No, no, no. I, you can be successful. You make a lot of money. This isn't just me because there's some of you that you could be 40 or 50 years old. You wake up one day and you think to yourself, I don't know that I was made to do this. 
Thankfully, I was 17. And I went into the manager's office, sat down, and I said, I need to quit. And he said to me, are you crazy? Look how much money you're making. I said, I know, but I have to quit. Why? I don't know how to explain it, but this isn't what God made me for. That's what I said. That's my story. You know what I discover? That the same qualities that make me up, that can make me great at doing sales, are also the same qualities that God put inside of me that can make me great at preaching the gospel to people who really do need it. I guess what I'm trying to say is that might be my story. What's your story? What, what did God put you here for? And some of you are going to look at your life today and you're going to think about your circumstances and how Moses grew up with a past that he didn't want and he wanted to forget it and didn't want to, he wanted to write it out of his story. And you know what you need to recognize is that perhaps God allowed some of those things in your life because it was part of shaping who you are for the very purpose that God created you. God might put you into a family of alcoholics because he knew you were the one that could break the cycle. God might have allowed you to grow up in an impoverished area because he knew that you were the one that was going to be able to reach people who knew what it was like to have nothing. God may put some certain desires inside of you that he wants to use for his glory and his story. And so here's Moses running. I've run. Some of you might be running. You can look like you got your job and your family, everything's good, but that doesn't mean you're not running. You know what Moses discovered? He ran and he ran, but he couldn't outrun his identity. That's why verse 16 and 17 tell us this is when he gets to Midian. It says, now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. And then it says, some shepherds came along and drove them away. But what did Moses do? Moses got up and he came to their what? Come on, say it with me. He came to their rescue and he watered their flocks. Hold on, hold on, I want you to get this. I've never seen this before. I wonder when Moses is at that well and these women are coming out to get water. And all of a sudden, these shepherds come along with their sticks. They start beating on the women to get away from the well. I wonder if Moses didn't have a flashback of seeing the Egyptians beating on his people. And that same thing that kept coming up inside of Moses came back to the surface and he has to go and rescue these women. Why? Here's what I would argue. Because God made him to be a rescuer. God made him to be a rescuer. God took his story, his broken story, where someone rescued him from the river. And God uses that same story and puts something in him so that he becomes a rescuer. When he looks around and he sees people being oppressed that are his and his heart breaks. You see, he had to go through that situation so that he could discover who he was. But here's the thing. He ran away from it, but he never left who he was. He's a rescuer. Moses was created by God to be a rescuer. Can I ask you a question? What did God create you for? Do you know? Well, I'm an accountant. Okay, that can be good, but, but is that who you are, or is that what you do? Who are you? And I think one of the big problems we have today, and I know some parents, you got kids that are just graduating high school, you're not going to like to hear this, but 
I think there's such a push. Pick your major, get into college, go find your career, go do this. That we have a whole generation of people that are running into a career but haven't figured out who they are. Haven't figured out who we are. Who are you? I want you to spend some time this week self-reflective, maybe write it down. Who am I? What am I good at? What am I terrible at? What do I love? What do I not love? What, what breaks your heart? I believe that if you start discovering who you are, that's, that's, are you nurturing? Maybe God has put something in you because you're going to care for people and love people. And we need that today in this world. Maybe you're going to be investing in the next generation. What, what is it? What did God create you for? It's not just to get to a six-figure salary. It's not just to get to a certain house. It's not just to get to a retirement. What did God put you here for? Are you somebody who's, who's intellectual? Hey, maybe God wants to use your mind to, to help people who are grasping and trying to figure out if God exists, to help them through reason, through science. What is it? Do you understand God's word and it comes to you? Maybe God wants you to use you to help teach others, to mentor someone. What is it that God has called you to do? Because here's what I've discovered is this. When you truly understand who you are, it will help you discover what God created you for. But not until you discover who you are. This is Moses. Moses and his life as we get into his story. This is so important, I believe, to understanding Moses' identity. Running from it. And all the bad things that happened to Moses. Do you realize they were actually a setup? for what Moses was going to do. Pulled out of the river, he's Moses. Raised in an Egyptian palace. Trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. As I said, guess who wrote the first five books of our Bible? Do you know most of the Hebrews didn't know how to read or write? Wow, thank God that he was there so that he could be trained for such a time as this. A rescuer, seeing people oppressed. So it's going to make sense next week when we take a look at an experience that he has in front of a bush. You're going to start to see what God had been doing the first 40 years was to shape him for what was to happen the second 40 years. And oh, by the way, his name, I believe, was not a coincidence. Moses, to draw out of the water... To draw out, to draw out. Wait, wait a minute. Pharaoh's daughter named him. Come on. She probably wasn't asking God. What Pharaoh's daughter. Again, not a coincidence. Why? Because I believe it was prophetic about Moses' calling. God was going to use him to draw his people out of slavery. I can't wait to dive into his story. I believe that it's going to change us.